Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 112 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans, and hello, hurting Husker fans. (laughs) A special hello to all of our Husker faithful out there. Yes. Uh, For those of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time, this is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. And we are here today, a father-son duo, to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, their game against Michigan, as well as the big games from uh, week six and what's coming up next week for week seven of college football. So to dive into things, um, we are going to be talking about the Nebraska-Michigan game today. Uh, but before we go into the specifics on how the game went, I believe we both have some beverages to crack here uh, for the we podcast. Do. Now, are, are you drinking that Japanese one again? Yep. Same six pack. <laughs> You're amazing. I'm dr- drinking a Labatt Blue. Uh, one of my last, you know, uh, Canadian beers that is uh, a stalwart for me whenever I'm back at home in Traverse City, Michigan. But, uh, you know, it's harder to find in Arizona. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm about ready to be out of it, which is a bummer. But I'm going to enjoy this one. All right, here we go. There we go. Awesome. All right. I mm. actually love Labatt Blue as well, so I'm a little jealous yeah. of you. <laughs> so to dive into things, um, we'll start things out as usual with what our predictions were from the previous podcast. And uh, I was the one kind of going in with the realist mindset of Nebraska's going to lose this game, but we're going to play it close. And I predicted that Michigan would win 24 to 17, um, whereas you decided to take the optimist view and said that Nebraska was going to win 38 uh, 28. And one thing that we did ag- both agree on in the previous podcast was that if Nebraska was going to win, it was going to be important to go up early. And that narrative immediately got tested because we had some nice big plays to start off uh, our first drive of the ball when we got it. Um, We marched all the way down to their goal line. It's like third and two. We get stuffed for nothing. And Scott Frost is faced with a decision of does he kick a field goal, get the three, or go for it on fourth and two to try to score a point. And he decides to go for it and doesn't get it, which was a real big momentum blow, obviously. Um, and in hindsight, knowing how close of a game it ended up being, you know, we really would have liked to have those three points. Uh, but in, in the moment at the time, I didn't necessarily disagree with Scott there because I knew that this Michigan defense is really good. We may not get down here into the red zone very often. And so, you know, if he if that gamble had paid off, it would have been a great, you know, stab in the back of Michigan right there to start off the game with like a big seven-point lead rather than a three-point lead. Um, what was your thoughts on that decision? Mine are the opposite. And I was at, I was in the game. I was right in that end zone watching it play out. And I said at the time, and I still believe, that that was the wrong decision. When you get down there and you get in that situation, you've got to take the points. And, and, and the problem was is that if we had had, if we had in the process of moving the ball, had running success – I might have felt differently, but when it was obvious that early on in the game, we were not moving their defensive line. We, we were not getting anything. We were, we were wasting downs 
running it up the middle. And, you know, Scott, I know in his press conference, you know, even today, um, you know, is making comments that, well, you know, part of the success we had in the second half was because of our commitment to running inside in the first half. I don't buy that crap. Okay. Not, not the way um, uh, that it played out. Bottom line is, is that we had no indications that we were going to be able to get a close, you know, fourth and two. Uh, we had just failed on a third and two. If you're not going to get more creative with your with your run choices, which he didn't, I thought his game plan was incredibly simplistic. Um, um, I just felt like he had to get behind before he was willing to do anything. Uh, way too many of his plays were stupid little zone read uh, handoffs. Most of them predetermined running right up the middle and, and we'd get two or three yards. We weren't moving the line of scrimmage at all. Right. If we had been in that first drive, then I would have felt better about going for it on a fourth and two, but it's since we had not, and it was a chip shot field goal and we were in the middle of the field, I would have trusted my, my very shaky kicking game to try to get three because the probabilities would still have been better. And it was, too important for us to get some points for that drive. We could not come away empty and going for it on fourth down gave you a, a far greater chance of coming away empty than what a field goal uh, from that distance sh should have. And I get it. He, he would argue, well, you know, uh, the thing that he knows that I don't know is what our field goal kicker was doing in practice this week. If, if, if our field goal kicker had been kicking like shit and couldn't even make extra points, okay, then maybe he was making the right choice. Right. But, you know, damn it, we should have a field goal kicker that's capable of kicking pretty much anything inside 35 yards should be a, you know, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 type of kick for uh, uh, unless it's gotten blocked, you know, or something like that where there's a breakdown somewhere else. But the field goal kicker should be able to make about 8 out of 10. Right. Um to Scott's credit, because I do recall that you're right on that third and two, like we went up the middle and got nothing. Uh, but earlier on that drive, as I recall, I believe Taylor had kind of tucked it and ran a nice run to the sideline, you know, that had gotten us the th right. first down in a situation where yes. we needed it. On that fourth down yes. play, we tried to go to the outside again, which I think was smarter than uh, trying to go down Dive. the middle again. Uh, right. But there credit to their defensive players, they kind of read the movement and were right there to catch Adrian uh, before yep. he got anywhere. And clearly Michigan's got some good speed. Um, so yep. they were able to keep up with him. Right. Um, so no, that, I know, but it, yeah. it just pissed me off. It was right in front of me too. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. And it should be noted. You were at the game, got to experience it live again. Uh, although you're yes. no longer in Husker nation now. I'm no longer there. No, that's right. We are now heading heading west towards our eventual uh, warm weather destination here in the next uh, four or five days. We're going to take a couple of days here in the beautiful state of Colorado and then uh, head west from there. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had uh, some prearranged plans. I'd actually paid for tickets at the local theater here to go watch the uh, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder three fight. Uh, I've kind of got into boxing in the last couple years, and that was a big one. Um, so I watched the first quarter 
from my couch, then listened to the radio for like the whole second quarter um, as we were, you know, texting as a family as I went to the theater or whatever. And then from there, because there was undercard fights, you know, before the big fight, I was kind of following along with the play by play um, on my phone, you know, just refreshing ESPN. Um, and I was, you know, pumping my fist when I saw that, like, we started scoring back in the in the second half. You know, in the first half, it was, what, uh, 13 to nothing, you know, by the end of the first half. Um, so we, you know, our, our defense did a solid job of slowing them down. Um, but yes. we really couldn't get anything going on offense after that first drive, which was part of what made it so frustrating that we had that nice success right away, but weren't able to get any points off of it. Um, but clearly exactly. the team made some good adjustments at halftime, which is something that we've struggled with in the past and came out with a, a different game plan in the second half. And we're able to get uh, some nice passes over them um, because they were doing a pretty good job of stuff in the run, though. I know, like you say, we started to kind of have more success with that as well uh, in the second half. Um, and we managed to eventually take the lead in the game. Right. Well, we should have won the game. I mean, when you have the lead, you know, with whatever it was, 10 minutes, eight minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter, you should win the damn game, you know. And again, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves with that because there's probably stuff we want to talk about before then. But our our inability to close out a victory is is so fundamental and so frustrating to me. And I think it's so basic, the things that should be being done versus the things that are being done and the things that are being discussed and the knowledge base that our team has are, are major, major issues of why we don't win games at the end. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, cause we had two turnovers in the game and they were both a little funny. Uh, in the first case, there was a ball that it Martinez threw. that was a little bit behind the receiver. It got tipped up into the air by, uh, the Michigan defender, and then mm-hmm. one of their guys dove down and caught it. You know, actually, it- he was on the ground. He was on the ground, and and the ball kind of came towards him, and he was able to catch it. But yeah. even that, he was rolling. Uh, in my opinion, in the video board that I was right next to, I had the massive, huge video board, clear as a bell. I believe that that ball touched the ground. He was bobbling it. It was sliding around in his hands. He never had control, and then the ball hit the ground, and then that, as it hit the ground, it allowed him to stabilize it and secure it. In my opinion, that guy did not have possession at the time that that ball hit the ground. Okay, and I, it should not have been a fumble. I, I didn't pay close attention to the slow mo, um, so maybe you're right about that. I will say watching because then I eventually watched the highlights of the game after my uh, boxing match, which was amazing. I should say it was a great fight. Uh, but uh, I watched the highlights afterwards, and it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me um, no, in that he it, he caught it. You're right. It, it wasn't out of the ordinary. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't view that as this horrific uh, injustice or anything. But I'm just telling you that, again, because we now have review, and we did review this play, <laughs> right, then they should have gotten it right. And I believe there was a vi- there was video evidence that showed that he did not possess and have control of that ball when the ball hit the ground. Then, because the ground basically stopped the movement of the ball, it allowed him to finalize his c- control. 
Right. And at that, so, at that point in the game, it was 0-0, and that's what led right. Michigan to um, get their, their first three points. The first three points. You know, our defense held them to that point of the field, which was good. Um, yep. And then when Michigan later, they had their own interception in the second half, and that was a devastating blow to them because we had just scored. Then they threw an interception right to our guy, um, and we were able to – get the ball with like less than 10 yards to go and scored immediately. Or again, right. Right. So we were able to get 14 points real quick there. Uh, but yep. then of course we had to one up them with the fumble that Martinez had when we had three minutes to go, we were down or, or no, the game was tied rather. And so we had the Correct. chance to go down, kick a field goal and win. Um, and on a third and one, he gets the first down and kind of keeps driving with his legs and the play kind of seems like it's dead. It's over. It was. And the ball pops out of his hand and they pick it up and get the field goal to win the game right at the end. Correct. And, and what was disgusting was that there are countless examples throughout that game where Michigan's team had a player whose progress was stopped and the whistles blow immediately. But for Nebraska's players, they allowed, they allowed, uh, him to be stood right up, even though he was not making progress. Okay. Uh, and did they blow the whistle? Nope, they didn't. Now, uh, my criticism of Adrian about that exact situation is you're an idiot, Adrian, because you need to know your circumstance. Okay. It's not worth wasting the time during that sequence, right? It, it, even if you gain an extra half yard, you're, like you said, he'd already gotten the first down. So, uh, no reason to fight. Go down. It's done. Let's go. Let's get back up on the line of scrimmage and let's get another play going, right? We're up against the clock. That half a yard means nothing in the big scheme of things, right? Mm -hmm. And by doing that, he allowed them to, for the refs to make that call. He allowed those refs to say, oh, there's still activity going on there. I'm not blowing my whistle. So, as much as I want to completely blame the refs, I believe the refs on their own should have looked and said, progress is stopped at game that because it was over. Okay. But they didn't because Adrian was still trying to move his feet. Now, why doesn't Adrian, how, how is it possible that Adrian doesn't know that? Why, how is it possible that our leader, our captain, our, our senior quarterback doesn't understand that basic concept of football? And, and the reason why it frustrates me is two plays before that, one of our wide receivers, uh, Luer, one a uh, walk-on wide receiver that we have, who had, who had received a, who had caught a pass uh, for like seven yards or something like that, did the exact same thing. Instead of going down, he was trying to fight for extra yards, and he wasted another three or four seconds trying to do that. Didn't make any damn yardage. And gave himself, a, put himself in a situation where they could have stripped him. Okay. That means two plays out of four in the final drive, our players are trying effort for this extra half yard when it's irrelevant. Now, that's on Scott and his team, his staff, to, to talk to them before they went out in the final, uh, for the final drive to say, okay, guys, here's some re quick reminders, right? Remember, we're, we're competing against the clock. We've got some great plays here, all right? We're going to get you guys in a position to move this ball down the field, and we're going to tie this ball game up, okay? Um, and uh, but, but remember, points 
I mean, excuse me, yards where a half a yard aren't as important as time, right? I mean, that's the kind of message, and they should already know that because they should have already covered that in spring practice. They should have covered that in fall camp. Those are the kinds of basic fundamentals of playing the game of football that everyone on our team should already know. And he, he wouldn't have had to use all the words I just did. He could simply say something much briefer that says, remember, guys, yards don't matter. Time does. We'll get you the plays to get you the yards. Okay? That's all he would have had to say. And they all would have understood exactly what he meant because they've already coached on it. But you know what? I believe they've never coached that. I believe that if, if we had press people that had the cojones and weren't fearful that they would get their access to Scott or anybody else at the university uh, you know, uh, revoked or diminished, to say to Scott, Scott, it sure seems like our team didn't understand that time was way more valuable than a half a yard in that circumstance. Do you guys discuss that? Have your team players, do they all know that they should have gone down in that situation and that it was a mistake for that wide receiver and that uh, mistake for Adrian to, to, to fight for that extra yard in that circumstance? And if he says, no, we haven't talked about that, we just assume they know that. Or if he had said, yes, we do talk about it, well, why didn't they do that? Did you remind them? I mean, how is it possible that they weren't clued in on that? Yeah, that definitely was frustrating. Um, I personally have to assume uh, that in that situation, uh, Taylor wasn't 100% sure if he had gotten the first down and, you know, and if obviously if he hadn't gotten the first down, you know, then driving for that extra half a yard to get the first down made sense. Um, but, uh, you know, that's my perception of it. And to me, it was one of those ones that was right on the edge of like, you know, he was still churning his legs, but he wasn't making any progress. So frankly, that's an issue I have with not just this empire umpiring crew, but referees across the whole sport is that I feel like there are a lot of situations where for the safety of the players, they should whistle it dead as soon as, you know, like that forward progress stops. In a lot of cases, they let the play kind of keep going for another couple seconds until they whistle it. And in my opinion, those are some of the situations where you can get some of those bad injuries, you know, especially if like, you know, a whole team is pushing back the quarterback or like, you know, it's one of those plays where like the whole team comes to push, try to push the the ball forward, you know, and you've got 20 guys on both sides kind of fighting with each other and they all fall in a big pile. You know, I think the refs should be whistling it dead sooner to try to avoid those sorts of situations in general. Exactly. No, you're, you're right. You're right. Uh, and that's the point. And yeah, you know, I'm on a, one of the, um, bulletin boards that I frequent and, and, uh, they were, they were calling for someone to ask the exact same question that I was basically just alluding to. You please ask Scott if he plans on making any adjustments in practice to prepare his team for clutch moments of games that we repeatedly fail in. And our situational awareness and our play calling when the game is on the line is just awful. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's really the reality. That's why we, that's why Scott has lost about seven or eight 
you know, of the 15 close games that we've had where that have been one score or less, I would say at least half of them are on the fact that we did not have poise and did not understand the, the, the situational awareness that we needed to have so that we could do the right thing. And so our kids so frequently do exactly the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah. And we've, we've talked about that on past podcasts. We won't spend too long on it now, but it is, it is true that we, we are a team that is talented clearly, but we choke when it, when the situation gets tight, you know, at the end of games, when you're in a position to win, we find a way to choke it, you know? Exactly. And it's, and it's 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 because you don't know the situation. You're, You're not, you're not well coached enough that it's second natured for you to understand this is not the moment where I go and do that little extra push that ends up getting the 15-yard penalty. It's not the time when you put in effort to try to get that half a yard when that means that they're going to be able to stand you up until they can strip you of the football like happened to Adrian this past weekend. I mean, and for a guy that's had all the snaps that he's had, played in all the big games that he's played in, how he doesn't know that at this point, and it's not second nature to him, is a crime and is a, a complete failure of the coaching staff and Adrian. Because at this point, you know, maybe the coaching staff has talked and talked to him about that a lot. And Adrian's the one that's just totally oblivious. I don't know. Right. Um, and this was a game where, uh, although uh, Michigan did end up getting uh, 460 total yards of offense on our defense um they came up with a lot of stops in critical situations in particular there was the time where michigan scored a touchdown you know on like third and one or whatever it was and then uh they were everyone was proceeding like it was a touchdown and scott was yelling at the refs to uh review it i believe he challenged it they reviewed the call and uh it turned out that they did not actually get uh, that touchdown. And so basically it ended up being a situation where we stopped them and forced them to kick a field goal instead of a touchdown there, which was a critical moment. Um, and I know uh, between all those defensive stops and the crowd noise, which was having a serious effect on Michigan with all the false starts they were having, um, you know, it, it, Frank, unfortunately, was another one of those situations where I feel like our defense played pretty well um, and the offense just couldn't quite you know they got close, but they just couldn't quite close the deal. Yeah, well, I'm, that 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 is unacceptable. The uh, we're close, but we can't close the deal, or we just didn't quite close the deal. Is you know, and and again, I think some of the answers, even from uh, Martinez about the fumble, uh, for example, and saying, "Well, I don't know what more I could have done." I think there's a lot he could have done. First, being secure the football and just drop to the ground. Save the save the seconds and get get back to the huddle. Let's go. Even if it's fourth and one and we have to go for it, I'd rather have that than a fumble and and our opportunity is gone. Well, of uh, of course we would rather have it be fourth and one than the fumble. But if it was a situation where you know he if if on that third and one play you know it looked like he had the chance to put in a second effort and get it and he he didn't because he was conservative and dropped down with the ball and then we don't get on that fourth and one then you'd be yelling at him well why the hell didn't he put in that extra effort to get that third and one you know well yeah but that that's the difference between do i is one guy trying to tackle me and a little bit of effort and i can flip forward or are there four guys which in this case there were 
there were a bunch of Michigan defenders. I mean, he wasn't going anywhere. Right. Uh, they were pushing him backwards. Um, but and back to the thing with Scott Frost uh, and that and, and specifically that sequence of events where he literally had to almost get a personal foul from uh, on the sidelines just to get the referee's attention was disgusting because the refs were purposely ignoring Scott. And um, only after they uh, they finally conceded because he went crazy, uh, did they review it. And, and they weren't even looking at the right thing. They weren't looking at the fact that the quarterback stumbled um, and his knee was down uh, before he even handed the ball off. Okay? So right. the play was dead three yards back. Okay? And Scott had to do everything short of throwing rocks at the umpire to get him <laughs> to acknowledge that. And yet, uh, literally, within a couple minutes of that same play, there was a circumstance that Harbaugh was objecting to, and he got three minutes of the White Hats and two of his other referees' attention, and they sat there during a commercial break and gave him this long, eloquent uh, period of time where they got to tell jokes to each other. God knows what they got to do, but they they had three minutes together, okay? Did he then run over and share with Scott Frost whatever that dialogue was about so that they were on the same page? Nope. He didn't give Scott time of day. The whole game was like that. It was ridiculous the way that the referee crew was showing favoritism constantly to Jim Harbaugh and literally purposely looking the other way because uh, so that they didn't have to look Scott Frost in the eye. They were doing everything they could to ignore Scott. Yeah. So that's another one of the referee crew that drives me crazy. Well, the refereeing in this game was just bad in general because, like you say, there were several – there was a lot of going up to the booth for viewer review on both sides, both for Michigan and for Nebraska, stuff that they missed on the field. Um, and probably what set that all off was the very bizarre um, defensive clap penalty yeah. that we received, which I have never seen called in a game at any point in time. Well, um, you may you may, you may recall – you may recall that Michigan State did that to us for an entire football game a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was going, I'm talking going back to maybe Taylor Martinez's last year, or maybe it was Armstrong. But bottom line is, is that um, they did it the entire game, caused all kinds of disruptions of Nebraska's offensive system. And, and our coaches were begging for them to address it, and they never did. Okay. And now here you go, fast forward a few years later, and um, uh, and they call it on us right away. And it wasn't even that obvious. It wasn't like we were doing it that often. If we were doing it at all, it was not something that was, um, you know, a conscious, uh, thing like it was with the Michigan state game. Okay. And, and again, that's just another example of the big 10 seemingly always conveniently making, uh, decisions that lead to us getting penalties when other teams don't. There was also a second situation where, a, uh, there was a blatant late hit, uh, a circumstance where uh, the, the, uh, our player was tackled, the play was clearly over, and, and a defensive lineman from Michigan came in and blasted one of our offensive linemen uh, significantly late in the play. No flag. No flag. So it wasn't just what they called was wrong. It was the stuff they missed as well. The amount of holding that was going on, I mean, it was just crazy. And I'm just tired of these referees 
who are supposed to be some of the best because they've risen through the ranks to the level of a premier power five conference and they suck. <laughs> so yeah, something well, needs to be done about that. Well, I, I think we talked about the refs a bit in the previous game against uh, Michigan state where those refs uh, were also going to the booth a lot to review stuff um, in a way that kind of slowed down the game, but they were reaching the right calls and they were also kind of letting the boys play a bit more, you know, versus this crew, which, you know, in theory seemed to be more ticky tack, right? With like that defensive clapping call that they called on us right away. Or like I, I the one that really bothered me was there was a, a huge pass interference call on us where they, their quarterback just threw a ball completely out of bounds because, uh, yes. you know, he was getting pressured. And so it was an uncatchable ball and they still called pass interference on our guy, which led to them getting a score um, because of those 15 yards. Again, that was right down in front of us. Horrible call. I mean, if, if we, if we didn't even have a defender over there, I don't think that their receiver would have been in a position to catch that football. Uh, I, I mean, it's just, it was totally absurd. Yeah. And, and the fact that they didn't review that, they didn't, there was no effort to uh, to rectify that that very bad call it just it's it's just too too consistently uh, against Nebraska and in favor of whoever we're playing that I am I I'm convinced that there is not so much a a thing to hurt Nebraska but that the just the quality of refereeing is very poor and they favor teams their preparation as they prepare for a, a game they look at what the tendencies of the of the teams are and once you gain a reputation for being a highly penalized team it's like you can't get away from it okay right. even if you get better and the other team if they're a low penalized team they can get away with stuff because well they're a low penalized team and so they come in with these preconceived notions and they just keep fitting the narrative and it's crazy Right. Well, well I'm, I'm sick of it. Last thing we'll say about officiating is just something we've mentioned on past podcasts, which is uh, for me, it's the inconsistency. You know, the fact that like, you know, we've worked with multiple Big Ten crews, obviously, in our uh, games this year. Um, and, in, you know, there have been some call, questionable calls for sure in our past games, but there was nothing as blatant as this before now. Right. So something about this particular crew, you know was off and I don't know what that was, but you know, they should be making more of an effort to unify what, you know, pass interference is and, you know, holding and all that sort of stuff, what the standards are for the league at the very least, you know, ideally it should be, you know, consistent across the whole nation, you know, but I'll settle right for right now, just for it to be consistent within the conference, but it's not even that. Right. So, right. Right, exactly, and it and it and it and it just, you know, my observation of watching a lot of Big Ten football games, not just Nebraska games, is that that there are favorites among the the crews. There are teams that tend to have more favorable circumstances happen for them, um, uh, where calls that cl- clearly get missed, and then other calls that are ticky tack that get us that get applied to other teams and it's kind of crap yeah and i want to see that consistency as well one interesting note though when you actually look at the stats 
Both teams had six penalties. Ours were for 47 yards. Theirs were for 55. Uh, so right. just looking at that, they were actually more penalized than us. Uh, right. But it's the timing of when right. our, I mean, that, that, that pass interference call was massively huge, massively huge. The, the no call of a personal foul penalty that, because that was on, on the Michigan side of the field at the time. And had we gotten that 15 yarder, which we should have gotten, we would have gotten an automatic first down and it probably would have pushed the, um, the ball into a first and 10 from like the 35 or the 30 yard line. I mean, we would have been right down close because at the time we were at, we were already over midfield. So not getting that call was huge in terms of the momentum and the movement of that particular offensive series for us. So, but, but again, um, I'm going to, I'm going to chill my wheels here a little bit and accept that at the end of the day, this is Scott Frost loss again. And to some extent, Adrian, I'm going to put Adrian in the, uh, you know, almost semi coach category because of the amount of snaps and games that he's played. Um, he should have known better. He should have known to get down and that a fumble at that moment in time was the absolute only thing he could not do. Okay. Yeah. And so he had to, he had to do anything short of chewing a guy's arm off to make sure that that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, he just can't do that. Right. Just can't do it. Um, and, and yet he finds a way to do it. Right. Even though, you know, in general, he played well this game. You know, I remember yeah. watching the highlights. There was one pass in particular where he, he stayed in the pocket and he took a shot from a Michigan guy, but he threw a nice pass right down to the sideline, right in stride with our receiver. It was a beautiful, beautiful pass. Yes. I was like, all right. Yes. That's that's the stuff you like to see. Um, yes. Well, he, he and, and all year, Adrian, this has been his best year. He has played really well, but he's also found a way with his brain farts to lose us two football games right um so. now transitioning away from this game and looking ahead to the rest of the season because as we said in the last podcast uh this was an important one for us to win if we really wanted to achieve that goal of winning six games and we couldn't quite do it so now we're three and four um however i think between this and the michigan state game you know where we were clearly um playing well, you know, in co- competition with these teams that are considered to be better than us, you know, and just falling short right at the end. It shows that, like, Scott is making strides, you know, and it is, you know, his recruits are, like, showing up with the talent that they do have. Um, so I think my personal opinion, and you can disagree here, my personal opinion is if, if he wins against Minnesota and Purdue, the two teams that we definitely should beat coming up, and what remains of our schedule. And so then we're a five win team for five and seven by the end of the year. I think if he does that, he's done enough to save his job this year and he'll definitely be our coach next year. Well, uh, I agree with you that, and I've all, I already have gone on record from the beginning of the season to say, I don't believe he's going to lose his job this year. And I even feel more strongly about that now, because I think that, I think that our new athletic director has also looked at the team and said, they're playing hard. They're playing uh, much more disciplined football now than they were early in the season. I mean, they, the, you know, there's a lot of things that you can point to and say the tra- trajectory is, is really good. And 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 uh, our uh, Trev Albers, our athletic director, has said it's not about 
it's not measured necessarily in wins and losses. He's looking at all the intangible stuff, and he's seeing a lot of positives. But he's also seeing a special teams area that's still a, a, a crapshoot. He's also seeing um, the fact that we're not showing composure and poise at the end of games, and we're making bad, bad, you know, uninformed decisions that look like you're not a well-coached football team. Those are some concerns for him, but he's going to look at that and say those are correctable. So let's go back to what you just said. If we can, if we can beat Minnesota and Purdue in their next two ball games, then we're five and four going to Ohio State. Then we get done with Ohio State. We're five and five. Now it's a two-game season. We play Wisconsin and Iowa. Yeah, and uh, we got to win one of those two games. Right. We just have to find a way to get a W off of one of those two teams, and then we get our six wins. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know on a previous podcast, I had kind of said, "Oh, I, I bet you we could, you know, beat Iowa." Uh, but after their performance against Penn State, uh, <laughs> particularly their defense, uh, and it's an away game, I believe. There, we're playing them at home, and that stadium was rocking in that Penn State game. So I'm feeling less confident about that. So Wisconsin's the one. The one maybe that I'm hoping that we can find a way to get. But for right now, we got to keep our eyes focused on what's coming up next, which is Minnesota. Um, one thing that I think's a little uh, that hasn't been talked about much about our team, but I think is significant, is that this is going to be our eighth game in a row because we played on week zero of college football and we've had no buys up till now. Now we do have two buys coming up right after this Minnesota game and before our game against Wisconsin, I believe. Um, so we're going to kind of get our break here coming up, but our boys have play, right. been playing a lot of physical football. So they got to be, you know, that kind of wear and tear has been building up on our guys. Meanwhile, Minnesota is actually coming off of a bye week. So they hold, had a whole extra week to prepare to play us. Right. That, it, that does really suck because that <laughs> concerns me a great deal. Mm-hmm. And that's why you, you can't really look at, cause you, you know what they're going to know? What, what have I said about preparing for Scott Frost? Because he does such a poor job of preparing his team for things that, that weren't already on film. So now you throw new stuff at him. You throw new formations. You throw new motions. You throw new special teams formations, special teams, um, you know, uh, 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 what do I want to say? Uh, you have a fake punt, fake field goal, onside kick ready for this Nebraska game because if Nebraska's team hasn't seen it, it's not likely they're ready for it, okay, because we do such a shitty job on special teams preparation. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Minnesota, then that's the way to go. Yeah, and there are some significant injuries on both sides, uh, both teams going into this game. Um, on our side, uh, Teddy Prochaska, who's our freshman who came in uh, – in the previous game against Northwestern to kind of change up our offensive line. It's, it's done grand that role had a knee injury in the game and turns out he's getting surgery on that knee is going to be out for the whole season. So that's a big loss for our reorganized offensive line. Um, on the other hand, two of Minnesota's best running backs are injured and will not be playing in this game. So they are lacking some of those weapons on their side of the ball. Right. And, but the thing is, is that, You'll recall last year, you know, Minnesota used the, oh, woe is us, we've got a bunch of injuries, then come to find out, or a bunch of guys that were out because of COVID, and it sounded like they were going to be really depleted, and then it turned out not to be the case, 
Okay, so I don't believe a damn thing that comes out of Minnesota and that lion PJ Fleck. <laughs> so, so um, you know, you you can pretty much count on the fact that they're going to have plenty of running backs and they're going to do just fine. Okay, um, <laughs> okay. and they're going to have an offensive line that's had two weeks to prepare. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and Minnesota's schedule was interesting. I was looking at it earlier because um, they the the two things that kind of stood out to me was they killed. Colorado earlier in the year, like 34 to nothing. Um, but then they lost to uh, Bowling or I think it was Bowling Green. Yes, uh, it yes. was. So the, they have, yeah, they've lost a loss to Bowling Green, a loss to Ohio State, but they beat that Colorado team. They beat Purdue. Um, so they're kind of, you know, a middling team in the in the Big Ten right now, it, it would appear, which isn't that far off from what we are right now. Um Right. So, you know, a, a game that we should win, I, I certainly believe that. Um, but we are playing them at Minnesota um, after this kind of stretch of home games we've had. Uh, so that'll be an extra challenge for us. Um, and Minnesota, kind of like Northwestern, is one of those teams where they always seem to come prepared and are a type of team that doesn't make many mistakes. Exactly. And the, the fact that they've had two weeks to prepare for us, they're, they're going to, I'm telling you, they're going to come out and look like a different team. They're going to have enough changes. They're going to have inserted maybe some new players into the lineup and stuff that'll, they'll shuffle some things around if they feel they need to, but they're going to throw a lot of new stuff at, like you said, a fatigued, uh, physically drained Nebraska team. Who's now, you know, uh, had to deal with two, devastatingly painful losses in the last three weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they all know all the Nebraska players know we quote, quote, should be better. Our record should be better, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Yep. Although, but I, I, you'll recall that I said after that Michigan state game that I was worried that, you know, that, that was a loss that could kind of derail a season. Right. Cause it was so, we had that game in the bag so much, you know, and then we messed it up. Um, But you know, uh, uh, Scott, to his credit, was able to use that kind of game as a rallying cry, proving to the players that, no, see, you guys do have the talent. We can do this. And we came out and played our best game of the season against Northwestern. Now, this Michigan game was also a frustrating loss. But uh, my impression now is that I think Scott has the team enough together on his game plan um, and knowing that they are playing good football that we won't have a sudden mental drop-off in this Minnesota game. Uh, Physically, that could be a different question, but I think mentally we'll keep this kind of level we've had. Let's just hope that we're able to get enough of a lead in by the third quarter that we can't possibly screw it up by the fourth. Well, that's the only way we win it. We have have to have a blowout like we did um, against... um, Northwestern. Northwestern, yeah. Now, yeah. So the, uh, the the reality is, is Minnesota's only only losses are an extremely close loss to Ohio State, forty five thirty one. I mean that that's only fourteen points. I mean, and if I remember correctly, at halftime, you know they were still within striking distance of Ohio State, and then uh, and then the Bowling Green game that you mentioned a little bit ago, uh, and that was a fourteen to ten loss, but they've they crushed Colorado. They barely beat Miami of Ohio, and they beat uh, Purdue by seven points. Yeah. 
uh, it should be worth noting that I my impression of Ohio State is that they, you know, were kind of a team that that's taken some time to kind of get it together. It seems like they do kind of have it together now, but earlier in the season they didn't because obviously they had the big upset loss to Oregon, who has now also been right. upset. Um, so I think there's, you know, something to that kind of similar to how we played, you know, really close with Oklahoma. Um, and we'll talk about it here in a bit, but Oklahoma with their new quarterback, I think has figured something out that they didn't, uh, earlier in the season. Um, talk about this Minnesota game though, and our score predictions. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and predict that we win. I'm going to stay positive here, uh, cause this is a very important game for us, uh, coming off of that Michigan loss. Uh, so I'm going to predict that we win, let's say it's 35 Nebraska to 17 Minnesota. Okay. I'm also going to say it because if we don't win this one, I'm going to be completely crushed. And and our season is all but over in my mind. And I don't know how these young kids are going to be able to handle it any 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 better. So I'm, I'm really, really hopeful that, you know, uh, now you want to talk about, a team coming unraveled and Scott being in jeopardy of losing his job, lose this game and see what happens. So this is an absolute positively, no question about it, must win game for Nebraska. And I hope that he can convey that to his team and his his team understands that. And then they go out and play with the hair on fire intensity that they're going to need because trust me, the crowd is not going to be loving them that crowd is going to be crazy. And I guarantee you, PJ Fleck, since he's had two weeks to prepare, has been working the the media and everyone to get everybody in a frenzy there. And since they didn't have a game last week, there there's going to be a purple out, whatever they call it up there, you know, a stripe game that, that it's going to be crazy, crazy game for them. And um, we're going to have to beat Minnesota at its best. Okay. Um, but I think we're up to the task also. So I'm going to say 35-28. Okay. A bit closer than me, but got to be a W, according to us. <laughs> uh, now, switching to the national side of things, um, there were uh, actually a lot of great games in week six, high-scoring affairs. Um, some even you could might go down as classics in years to come. Um, one of the big standout ones is uh, Oklahoma versus Texas, the Red River Shootout, a classic, and I believe you said on the previous podcast that uh, that's a game, a classic rivalry game that always, not always, but often uh, seems to give unpredictable outcomes, Um, and that definitely was the case this time um, because Texas scored super quickly. I believe they got a blocked punt. They scored, then they got a blocked punt on Oklahoma, so they went up 14 to nothing like in the first two minutes of the game. And it was actually uh, twenty to seven by halftime, um, right? And Oklahoma's quarterback was uh, starting quarterback was really struggling, you know, throwing some interceptions and things like that. Um, so they actually swapped him out for their young guy uh, Williams, who is a kind of a Heisman hopeful in a lot of people's eyes, um, and he kind of showed his stuff. Uh, in this game. And once he came in, their offense got going a lot better. And Texas had their own. Uh, costly turnovers that led to easy points for Oklahoma. Um, So it ended up being a tie ball game. And then Oklahoma ended up getting the ball with like just, you know, a few seconds. I don't know how much time it was, but it was like a minute or less to go. And they managed to uh, 
to score, get a big play to score, and so they ended up winning fifty-five to forty-eight in a crazy game. Well, it really was. That was a crazy game, and it and it was just nuts the way, um, you know, neither defense could stop the other team, and like every play, I I, I don't know what the average yards gained per play was, but but I would guess that after about the first quarter, you know, it was it was pushing eight yards for each team. <laughs> like yeah. so they just were chunking it down the field yeah well and uh I, I i forget his name but there was a player on texas's side of the field a wide receiver who like had a breakout game because it felt like he was getting the ball for a touchdown like every play and i guess he hadn't played that much because they were saying oh this is like his breakout game this is his you know hollywood moment you know because he, he he played amazing right right um, well, and it, it might might very well be, but they, you know they've got other issues. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, Texas got some talent, and like I said earlier, I think with this quarterback change as well as like um, it kind of impressed me seeing you know some of these Oklahoma guys you know just running away with the ball, their wide receivers and their running backs, you know, getting some great great plays, and knowing that our defense you know contained them pretty well in our game against them, kind of made me feel better. Um, about that side of the ball for us, because uh, we certainly did better than Texas's defense ended up doing. Um, and then uh, in the SEC, there was Arkansas versus Ole Miss, uh, which ended up being a 51 to 52 victory for Ole Miss. Another crazy back and forth where uh, Arkansas also like was down, got the ball with just a couple seconds to go, you know, less than a minute and managed to score on like the, literally like the last play of the game. I'm pretty sure they scored. And then their, their head coach decided to go for two and they didn't get it. So they lost by one point in the end, but I guess they didn't want to, they didn't feel confident going to overtime. So he bet it all on that two point conversion, uh, kind of like Tom Osborne did way back in the day. So yeah, that that Arkansas team, you know, they're, they're fun to watch for sure this year. You know, uh, and Ole Miss was coming off of a loss to uh, to Alabama. Alabama, uh, right? So I'm sure, yeah, they were, you know, they were happy to get that. I think it was at Ole Miss as well. So yeah, they they were it probably was, it, it it was at Ole Miss, and I had some friends there, um, and it and it was crazy. We were texting back and forth. Uh, they were in the stadium and. Uh, and it was one of those things where it was like, you know, what's going to happen next? And then they were like, all right, we're going to win this one. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, yes, we are. You know, I mean, it was just, <laughs> what a what a roller coaster, right? Yeah. But, but it's, damn, I mean, again, where's the defense? Well, you know, how are these scores getting so crazy? Yeah. Well, yeah, with Oklahoma and Texas, I understand that because the Big 12 is kind of known for being all offense, no defense. Uh, but the SEC doesn't quite have that reputation, so it was a little strange to uh, see that. Um, but the craziest upset of this week has to go to Texas A&M, who was playing against Alabama. I don't think A&M was even ranked in the top 25, and they managed to win 41-38 at home, upsetting the number one team in the nation. Uh, and I can, I feel sorry. I believe Alabama's playing Mississippi State this week, and I kind of feel sorry for them because you know that. Saban is going to get his guys riled up and yelled at, and they're going to come out swinging against Mississippi State this week. Exactly. And now with this new setup that we have of, you know, college football playoff, Alabama is still going to be in that four final four. And because they had that loss and because they're going to be able to point to that experience, 
uh, this team probably doesn't win, doesn't lose again, right? That's exactly what Saban needed to win another championship. If that hadn't happened, there might have been a chance that someone might have nipped him late, like he might have lost in a conference championship game to Georgia or something. But I think because of this loss, no one's beaten them now. Well, we'll see because Georgia does look awfully good this year. Um, they do. And if if Georgia did find a way to beat Alabama in that conference championship game, then Alabama with two losses and there's no way they get in there unless something really crazy happens. Um, so but I, I I'm I'm here to tell you, I, I just think I think uh, you're going to see Alabama's team take it up a whole notch now. Yeah. And this was significant in that. Uh, Nick Saban had this insane record against all of his former assistant coaches that they had never been able to beat him in a game that finally got broken here. Uh, so that, that streak has come to an end. Uh, so congratulations to uh, Jimbo Fisher and everybody over there at Texas A&M. I'm sure they were pardoned that night pretty nicely. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. And then in the uh, Big Ten, there was Iowa versus Penn State, number three and number four, according to the AP rankings. Um, and we actually predicted that game, uh, both of us giving the edge to Penn State. I said 35-24. You said 28-17. Uh, but the final score ended up being 23-20, to Iowa beating Penn State, um, with a very impressive performance by Iowa's uh, defense, not quite as much by their offense, uh, but... Penn State, I believe they had four turnovers over the course of the game. So it was one of those where, right. frankly, they should have won if they weren't self-destructing so bad. And that's what Iowa makes you do because they're so disciplined defensively and they, they run a, a tremendous you know zone uh, defense in the back end of their, of their uh, defense that allows their, their um, defensive backs to be Hawks that just pick off passes and read quarterbacks and, and they're going to get two or three a game. And, and when they do that, good things happen for the team. And, uh, and so if you're going to beat, if you're going to beat Iowa, then you need to be able to run the football and Penn state couldn't do that consistently enough, which we know we knew that about the Penn state games going all the way back to the first week of the, of the season where they struggled against Wisconsin. They ended up beating Wisconsin, but, it was a it was a nail biter, and uh, they won because of their passing game. They couldn't run worth a damn against Wisconsin, and and so, um, you know, to to beat Iowa, you're going to have to have a team that can really control the clock and just pound the rock. Yeah. And so that's that's the key uh, with the Iowa's uh, Iowa team. Uh, it's a weird situation because because Alabama lost and Iowa won and Penn State lost. Iowa is now the number two team in the nation, according to the polls. And I know. frankly, they have a, you know, their crossover teams, you know, that they have to play from the other side of the division. Penn State was their toughest test because I'm right. just looking at it right now. They've got Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, and us. So if they keep playing at the level they've been playing, you know, Wisconsin's will be the biggest test, but they could very well beat all those teams and be undefeated going into that big 10 championship game. Right. And, and most likely be uh, number one or darn close to it. The, the number two spot. I mean, they're not dropping from there if they don't lose uh, in all likelihood. So um, yeah, they're going to be right up there. And so at this point, you know, that's where I'm hoping if we can take care of business this weekend, 
and start building some momentum towards a uh, basically a, a a situation where we've either just just won our sixth game and have the the momentum of 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 winning three of our last four um um and then go into that Iowa game with with that or if it's one of those deals where we're five wins and we're we're we're, we're scratching to get that sixth win and bowl eligibility against the number 2 team in the country at our home because that's in Lincoln this year. Oh, that's that right. Iowa game. Yep. We play Wisconsin at Wisconsin. You're right. Yeah, which is why and and like I mentioned those bye weeks we have coming up because we have a bye week between Minnesota Purdue and then a bye week before that Wisconsin game. So that's why I'm thinking if we beat Minnesota, we beat with Purdue, we have a bye week before we play Wisconsin. Then I think that Wisconsin game becomes really critical because I think that's our best chance to uh, get to six wins is to beat them and then play Iowa at home. And I, I mean, it, if we could manage that at that point, Nebraska fans would already be, you know, pretty satisfied with the the record. Obviously, we'd be frustrated by the season overall with all the close losses and everything. But you know, the energy in Memorial Stadium would be really rocking, especially if Iowa was the number two team in the nation still, and we had the chance to make a big time upset. Absolutely. Which that is the one thing, and I know I've been very negative on this podcast because, it, you know, the more I reflect on the game and just the irritants uh, of of the referee screw ups of Scott's decisions of some just really fundamental things that we could have done uh, so easily correctly. And then we would have won the football game, but the environment that, that we got to experience your mother and I, and uh, my sister um, and um, uh, my nephew, uh, Trevor, uh, your, your, your uh, cousin got to go with us. And uh, I mean, it was, it was a crazy environment. It was so cool. Yeah, I could tell even from the TV that that place was rocking, uh, you know, like I said, with all those false starts we got in Michigan. And I know the stadium did kind of quiet down in that first half because we weren't getting anything going. Uh, but then the second half, obviously, kind of turned that around for us. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can uh, get these wins strung together and get that kind of environment again for that Iowa game. Uh, looking ahead to next week, um, there aren't as many high-profile games on the national side of things. Uh, there's Oklahoma State, Texas, Florida versus LSU, and number one Georgia playing against number eleven Kentucky. Um, I should actually look up who's at home in that game because that's probably going to be very important. Um, but I know that Kentucky won. They're they're still undefeated right now, I believe, which is why they're ranked eleventh. Um, right. It may be a situation like Arkansas where they, because Arkansas also played Georgia and kind of had the reality of the talent difference kind of crash down on them. So I'm wondering if it might be a similar situation with Kentucky. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if you look at Kentucky's, uh, the, the, the data behind their record, you know, I mean, they have won an awful lot of close games. Uh, they have had um, a fairly easy draw, the toughest draw they've had so far was the Florida, uh, team. Um, and, um, cause recall that Florida almost beat Alabama, right? Florida mm-hmm. really hung in there with Alabama. Um, and, and, um, I mean, they just have barely beaten a lot of folks. They barely beat South Carolina. They barely beat etc. So, so I have a feeling that this will be another wake up call within the sec where Georgia is going to impose their will a little bit. 
but but I will also admit that Georgia has historically been a team uh, that has always found one game to lay an egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so this might be their week, right? To be surprised, but I don't think I don't think it is. I think I think uh, Georgia wins and and probably comfortably. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with your assessment there because that has also been my impression of Georgia is that they find a way to lose one unexpected game, um, and now the pressure's especially on them now that Alabama's tripped. Now they're the number one team, so that kind of mantle is on them. Uh, however, I did just check, and it is at Georgia. Um, if it was at Kentucky, I, I might have given them a chance at that kind of upset win. But if it's at Georgia, I think I gotta. We're gonna go ahead and predict that game, and I've gotta go ahead and say that Georgia's gonna win, and I think they'll win big. Um, so I'll say that Georgia ends up winning uh, thirty-eight to seven over Kentucky. Wow, thirty-eight to seven. I think Kentucky will score more than that. So I'm gonna say. Um, but I don't know much about Kentucky's defense. So uh, I'm going to go 42 points for Georgia and um, uh, 17 points for, no, 21. Let's do 21. 21 points for Kentucky. All right. Yep, we'll get to see our our former player, Wandell Robinson, in that game. Hopefully he gets some good runs against Georgia. Uh, He's He's been doing very well so far, so yeah. It's, which regretfully supports his decision, as opposed <laughs> to it not being that way. And frankly, he's one of the few players that's transferred from Nebraska and then moved on to another college and and performed well. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys that that we've had that have bailed and transferred out haven't really done so hot. Yeah. Um, what's the name of our, our backup quarterback from last year? I remember I was seeing him in a, in a game. McCaffrey. Yeah. Well, no, not, not McCaffrey. The other guy. Oh, Vedral. Vedral. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, for Rutgers, he's the starter at Rutgers. Yes. Yep. And he's doing, he's doing okay. Um, but, um, um, yeah. And he's splitting time too. I mean, there's another quarterback that also plays for them as well. So he's kind of a. Uh, uh, I won't say part-time starter, but he's he's had the starting job, and then I think he, either he got injured or something, but he he hasn't played every game. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, he's doing okay. Yeah, he's doing all right. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for this podcast. Uh, we'll be watching this Minnesota game this weekend and hoping that our Huskers are able to put on a performance like Northwestern, get a nice statement victory out there. Um and give us some momentum going into that bye week for the last section of our season that will be so very important. So if yes. you yes, if you all out there enjoyed listening to us, you can find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please leave us a rating or review. We love hearing from the fans. Um, you can also reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com if you want to leave a comment. We'll read out what you send us on the air. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.